Welcome to Mercer's podcast series on the new shape of work. I'm Kate Bravery, Mercer's advisory and insight leader. And today we'll be diving deep into generative AI, which let's be honest, is the conversation of the year, or certainly one that's been dominating the airways. Specifically, we'll be discussing how generative AI is impacting the workplace, and more critically, how we can, at both the individual and organizational level, prepare ourselves for its impact. This conversation, I'm joined by Ravin Jasutherson, Global Transformation Services Leader at Mercer, and Sophia Van, Head of Global Digital Portfolio, also at Mercer. Welcome, Ravin and Sophia. I know that you both speak and write a lot on this topic, so I'm really looking forward to the conversation today. Thanks, Kate. It's lovely to be here with you. Hi, Kate and Ravin. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, why don't we dive in? Um, Sophia, I'm going to come to you first. Um, and maybe for the people on the call that are living under a rock, why don't we just level set with what is generative AI and its very public apostle, ChatGPT? Uh, maybe you can share from your expert vantage point a definition and maybe in plain English share why everyone's getting so excited. Yeah, sure, Kate. So large language models have been around for a while, but last November something happened, right? Everybody talk about ChatGPT. Within just 50 days of launch, it stormed the world with lots of news. It passed a Google engineer test and the MBA exam and several law school exams. So in addition to ChatGPT, probably you heard about Dewey, right? So Midjourney, those tools that can create realistic images. So Midjourney even competed against human artists and won the first prize at the Colorado State Fair Fire Arts Competition. Then we heard about Microsoft's Bing and Google's Bard. They are all generative AI apps, and currently there are hundreds of them. So these apps really put AI at the fingertips of so many people in ways that they had never experienced before. So what is generative AI? It refers to a subfield of artificial intelligence that focuses on creating new, unique, and useful content or data. It goes beyond index retrieval and pattern recognition. These systems have the ability to perform creative tasks that were once thought to be exclusive to human. So to illustrate, let's do something fun. Let's listen to a song. Hi, Kate and Robin. This is Sophia AI. About to drop some knowledge. So listen, don't be shy. The future of work, it's a whole new scene. Robots and AI mixing with the human team. Collaboration, new jobs unfold. Together we're building a future that's bold. On skill with skill, we gotta be steady. Rather the change, we we'll stand strong and ready. Future of work, we ain't gonna shirk. Together in this world, we'll create a new world. Get ready, y'all. The future's here. Working together, no need for fear. Embrace the change, keep moving ahead. I love it. So, B, I didn't even know you were a rapper, but uh, that was a very eloquent poem about uh, generative AI. Did you just come up with it? Well, naturally, I don't know how to rap. So, what you just heard is actually a digital tone of my voice. Uh, the lyric was written with ChatGPT, and the music was composed by Boomi.com. And again, please note that this is solely for educational and demonstration purposes not meant for any commercial uses with my voice. 
Um, but how long do you think it took me to produce that song? Well, it took me just a few minutes. And I think that is fascinating, right? Because we have been talking about democratizing of AI for a while, and now it has become a reality. It is extremely accessible. Using these tools can be as easy as making a phone call. So now not only adults use ChatGPT to write hundreds of books on Amazon, you know, but kids use ChatGPT to do their homework. My teenager child actually just recently told me that, hey, mom, you know, ChatGPT would make many millionaires in the next 24 months. And I asked her, where you got that from? And she said, TikTok. So I'm not sure if it's true, but I'm pretty sure we are witnessing a giant leap of productivity. And, and we ran a couple of internal experiments as well that I would love to share with you if, if you're interested. Yeah, well, no, we would definitely love to hear them as we go through the conversation today. I think it's fascinating how uh, young young people are gravitating towards it as well. It's certainly helping me do homework with my kids a lot easier. Um, I didn't know about the commercial opportunity. I think my teenager will be very happy about that. But, but um, you said a couple of things there that I think are very relevant. You said, you know, it's, it's democratizing access to creating new content. And you talked about just the sheer accessibility of it. And I think those are real, really the two hallmarks of the period that we're living through. I wonder though, if you could talk a little bit about some of the risks, because with that unprecedented access and opportunity, what are some of the risks that maybe some of us sitting in HR need to be cognizant of? Kate, you know that I'm really, really fascinated about the democratizing of AI, which means the wider spread use of AI to a a broader range of employees in the organization beyond just research labs and IT departments, right? Because I believe that a lot of use cases, the impact would happen right at employee desk, but it is definitely a double-edged sword because generative AI is in its infancy, so there are risks. Um, so what are the risks? They lack common sense and real-world understanding, which impairs their reasoning abilities and can lead to inappropriate or misleading responses. Uh, large language models are trained on vast amount of text data, usually sourced from the open internet, which may include offensive, controversial, or biased content. They can be manipulated into generating toxic content. They do not understand emotion, of course. They lack empathy. And I think one of the biggest problems that many people talk about is accuracy. We know that they can get things wrong and hallucinate incorrect facts. Um, ChatGBT's knowledge, for example, was limited to information up to September 2021. So if you ask it about details beyond that point, the older version might have fabricated facts. Um, GPT-4 has shown significant improvements. Uh, its OpenAI claim that it is less likely to respond to this now content and more likely to generate factual responses. But we are still talking about, you know, the probability of hallucination here, which is around 8 to 10%. So I think it's very important to have human review step. Um, we also, from our own experience, we know that implementing best practice, the prompting and fine-tuning and crowding with additional contacts also help mitigate risk and uh, it needs special skills. Well, you share quite a few of those new skills that are coming into the workforce. So, so I think we'll, uh, we'll dive a little bit deeper on that. 
When you were just chatting there, Sophia, the, the fact that people can have access at their employees' desks, I think also just makes me think, gosh, what, what kind of information, what proprietary information might be going into those systems? So I, I agree with you. There is a, a few things to be wary of. I also think it's quite interesting that just that it's inaccurate like human beings and it can actually model some of that empathy, even though it's not empathetic. So we are definitely in a, in a brave new world. Um, Robin, I wonder if I can bring you into the conversation. You know, as we start to think about the impact on the future of work, its reverberations are mind-boggling. <laughs> and I wonder if you could share a little bit about what do you see as some of the immediate impacts that we're going to be feeling in the workforce? And maybe more critically, how do we prepare for them? Yeah, Kate, you know, I, I think Sophia has given us a really good grounding in the capabilities of this technology. And I think what's really fascinating is looking at how the advances in these large language models really are, uh, sort of rely and sort of build on, um, you know, what we've traditionally seen AI do, right? So previous iterations of automation with machine learning, um, uh, you know, have largely impacted repetitive rules-based work. But the thing that's intriguing about generative AI is the democratization of creativity and knowledge means that it will, it's also affecting low volume, highly variable work. That, that where the risk, I think, said, kicks in is, you know, the, these large language models are looking at adjacencies and connections. They don't often have the logic that we might have seen in other variants of, of, of AI. And I think it's that lack of logic that, um, that gets to be deeply problematic um, and it becomes a risk factor. Kate, as you know, um, you know, I wrote a piece for, for the World Economic Forum around where these models make sense, um, you know, where they, where they can be used safely and securely versus where they might potentially represent a risk factor to the organization because um, particularly in areas where you're depending on a model without logic, without significant amounts of highly specific data uh, that then result in potential errors without the potential for human risk mitigation, I think is where the impact on work yeah, could be quite significant. Yeah, I, I was just about to say, in combination to that, the confidence and assertiveness of the single responses, I think, puts that risk even higher. Um, and to your point... It's not what we've got used to with prior incarnations of AI. So it really is a, a, a juxtaposition to what we've got used to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Kate. Um, and, you know, what's fascinating is, you know, thinking, stepping back and thinking more broadly about work is, as we know, with this iteration of, of uh, the large language models, with previous iterations of both machine learning as well as the more basics of robotic process automation, um, there, the impact on jobs itself will be quite limited, right? There will be certainly the emergence of uh, new jobs like, you know, prompt writers. You know, we've all talked mm -hmm. about how those, how prolific, you know, and um, how those have just captured the imagination of the public. We've also seen how um, jobs like, you know, that of an intern in, in advertising agencies have been, in some instances, eliminated. But those are just you know, probably the one to 2% of the impact, the broader impact is going to be across many, many more types of work where certain types of activities will be substituted. I think this democratization of creativity and knowledge actually means that vast amounts of work 
tasks will be augmented. So enabling people with a fraction of the skills and expertise that might have been required in the past to get into the game of creative of creating. And then also, I think, recognizing that there will be new types of work created, either whole jobs like prompt writers or lots more other activities that are created by the presence of these large language models. The area, Kate, that I'm really intrigued by is the democratization of these tools puts so much power in the hands of talent. Um, and I think what you're going to see is the continuation of this trend away from organizational centricity and process centricity towards human centricity. And these tools really do drive that power. And just, I think, one example of that is looking at the what might be a massive boon for gig workers. You know, generative AI, I think, will transform the work of gig workers by putting exponentially more power and knowledge in their hands. Um, it's going to enable them to perform much higher order work um, as it substitutes core activities like information and knowledge gathering, as it augments their critical thinking and their solution development expertise, and as it creates more space for them to work on or acquire new skills. I think the impact on gig work is going to be truly fascinating to watch. And as we look at higher order activity being shifted outside the enterprise. Robin, I always love talking to you because I think you give us that hope that is a race to the top, not the race to the bottom. And I think that is so important. And you're right, the headlines have been stolen by the impact, particularly in marketing and uh, some of these research functions. But, but really, that's just a fraction of the reverberations that we're going to hear in other areas. Robin, you also mentioned you know, prompt engineers and output auditors. I think there's been a lot of discussion about new jobs coming online. Uh, or maybe more accurately, new skills. Um, Sophia, I wonder if you could shed a little light on some of the technical roles that you're hearing about, um, and maybe even how some of the job adverts that you've been seeing have changed, um, given these new requirements coming in as people begin to work alongside generative AI. Yeah, it's really, really interesting to see changes just in a few months. So a few months ago, front-end developers were expected to have specific front-end programming skills. However, as of now, I know some tech companies have revised their job requirements with the latest being the ability to communicate with ChatGPT. Um, so a variety of firms industry is hiring prompt engineers, which is quickly becoming the hottest new jobs in tech. And probably you read from the news, um, there is a prompt engineering opening with a salary more than $335,000 uh, without the need for engineering or coding expertise and the job description saying that is an art, planning elements of programming, instruction, and teaching. So I have a question myself, you know, whether it's really a tech job or continues to be a tech job when English is being now regarded as a new programming language. Um, one more thing is about um, cybersecurity. Um, defect is evolving into the most dangerous form of cybercrime. And we know that um, data privacy security is number one barrier for enterprise adoption right now. So I think the demand for cybersecurity professional will continue to rise. Sophia, earlier you mentioned a number of experiments that are happening across Marsh McLennan. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing a few of those insights. What's been some of the, the learning 
as you've been applying these large language models to some of the, the challenges that organizations face? Sure. So um, our interest experiments shows that Gentive AI has the potential to produce commercial output that closely resemble human written content after a few quick rounds of fine tuning. So again, fine tuning is a very important skill. <laughs> it also uh, can summarize and synthesize information to support research activities. So the technology has potential to result in significant productivity and cost savings. So for example, the cost of a human writer for a single plot being $500 with one month turnaround compared to now just like $20 per month for ChatGBC and 20 minute fine tuning or a typical two hours research work now can be shortened to under 10 minutes. And that means nine times, 10 times productivity, 20% cost. <laughs> we, we, we always love statistics like that. And um, it's, it's really interesting, Sophia. I just read an article this morning that said uh, ChatGPT is the best copy editor, editor I've ever hired. <laughs> um, but, but these are very much, I think, the types of experiments that I'm hearing a lot about. I think a lot of people are looking at how it can help with research and marketing copy. Um, Raven, I wonder if I can come to you around some of the, the other work that you're doing with clients. And as you know, the recent World Economic Forum's Future Job Report paints an extensive picture of just how AI more broadly is extending into the workplace and changing both work and working. I wonder if you could share some specific examples of how you're helping clients transform and prepare for and incorporate AI and specifically generative AI into their work. Yeah, absolutely, Kate. Um, you know, we've continued to see a, a massive uptick in demand for our services around what we call work design, which, mm -hmm. as we know, Kate, where we help organizations with uh, both through a combination of consulting process as well as um, uh, AI-driven tools that we've developed actually take a body of work, a workflow, a job, deconstruct it, analyze where tools like generative AI versus RPA versus uh, more traditional machine learning could be used, um, help the organization see what the impact of redeploying those activities might be, um, and then helping them reconstruct new and arguably more human, more impactful jobs, all the while shining a spotlight on which skills are being rendered obsolete, which skills are changing in how they are being applied because they're now machine augmented, and then what new skills are being demanded as um, we're using some of these tools. Um, mm -hmm. you know, sort of in parallel with that, it's also, as I mentioned um, a second ago, helping organizations understand uh, based on our proprietary methodology around looking at the return on improved performance, where are the bodies of work where we, we should be using established um, um, analytical models like machine learning that is driven by logic and significant amounts of data, you know, where can that be helpful in, in highly mm. critical areas where mistakes need to be avoided versus where emerging technologies like generative AI that lack logic that often, you know, as, as Sophia said, are prone to hallucination um, can be used to maybe augment um, human purpose capability in areas where, um, where the risk quotient is a little bit lower. But mm -hmm. all of this also ties into um, us working with HR to establish a new set of guardrails 
around uh, around the future of work. And those guardrails really fall into five buckets. Um, the first is something Sophia talked about um, at the beginning, data protection. Um, you know, there is still an open question about the potential risks associated with the source data that's been used to train these generative AI models and the potential for lawsuits, uh, you know, that from the creators of some of that source data. Is the copyright. Exactly, has not been addressed. So as you sort of use these models and create derivative works, ensuring that you understand the risks at the same time, and exactly as Sophia said, you know, ensuring that the output of your work is not harmful to others. So um, that's one category of work. The second is understanding the consequences of your use of these models on your overall work model. So how do you create a work operating model with tools and disciplines to analyze work and sustainably and responsibly apply emerging AI and automation, dealing with some of the risks of mistakes that I talked about? The third is understanding the consequences on your talent model. So, so many of our professions, and as the two of you know, our profession, you know, maybe more so than many others, are, um, you know, is built on an apprenticeship model where expertise is acquired through experience and learning from other more, you know, sort of long tenured, more experienced colleagues. How do we resist the temptation to substitute the work of junior level talent with these tools, given the potential negative long-term consequences on the talent pipeline? Um, the fourth is um, thinking through how we develop future skills. As more and more AI proliferates into other bodies of work, you know, ensuring that employees are doing meaningful and sustainable work is going to be critical. So how do we find opportunities to automate tasks and free up time for new value-adding activities while ensuring that the talent has the right signals, assets, and resources to keep upskilling and reskilling as the work is continuing to be reinvented? And then lastly, um, as an organization, as leaders across the culture, how do we ensure that we've got a mindset and a culture of perpetual reinvention? We are just at the precipice of the impact that these technologies are going to have on work. We need to be ready to keep reinventing our, ourselves and our organizations and our work. Um, so as the next generation of AI lowers the premium on creativity and democratizes access, as we've talked about here, how do we ensure that we are perpetually reinventing our business model, our workforces, and ourselves, um, and ensuring that that is, is basically how we run our businesses, not mm -hmm. the exception to the norm? David, I love the way you always bring science to chaos. <laughs> there is a lot here to think about, um, and I love the concept of perpetually reinventing um, in many concepts, whether it is the skills that we need, the work operating models. Um, there was a few things that I just wanted to hone in on there. Your point three about the apprenticeship model, I think, is really interesting because today the reason why we can go fast in many areas is because that great knowledge and experience, or as Malcolm Gladwell talks about thin slicing, we've got that to bring to bear to say this engagement survey looks wrong or there's something wrong with this comp modeling or this assessment profile, maybe they didn't complete it. We lose some of that if we we, we hand it over to the machine and, and don't train our young people. I think that's really interesting. There's probably two things that really stuck in your my mind. Um, when you talk about work design, you've mentioned it throughout here, 
building more, I think your language was more human-centric, more impactful jobs. And so I'm really interested in what do you mean by human-centered? And then the second one that, that stuck in my mind, you talked about measuring it in terms of the return on improved improve performance, I think. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just touching on those two points, because I think they're two really interesting areas for honestness to hear about. Absolutely, Kate. So, um, you know, when I talk about more human-centric jobs, Kate, you and I know from all of our work with the World Economic Forum that, you know, the half-life of many technical skills are shrinking. And, and if you look at what the impact of not just earlier iterations of, you know, if you look at robotic process automation and what that did to classic, you know, swivel chair work in, in offices, it significantly reduced the premium on data analysis and synthesis. If you look at what um, machine learning has done, it significantly impacted the work of many analytical roles, um, salespeople, et cetera. And generative AI is doing the same thing. It is shrinking the half-life exponentially of many different technical skills, and it's shifting the premium towards the things where it's going to augment our, our humanity, right? It's going to help us express empathy. You know, if you think of how Sophia beautifully created that, um, that song, um, I think that's the power of some of these, some of these uh, large language models in accentuating and, and increasing um, our ability to express love, care, concern, you know, critical thinking, those things which are truly human. Um, and doing so both by substituting some activities, so giving us more space, and then augmenting yet others, making us um, even more productive in those domains. So I think that's the opportunity we have. To your question about return and improved performance, you know, this is a, a, a capability that we found to be really important. Um, it was developed originally by my co-author, John Goudreau. Um, mm -hmm. We've been using it, Kate, in, in a lot of our assignments because it's, it's a truly unique way of helping organizations understand what the relationship between the performance of an activity is and the value of that performance to the organization. You know, many organizations inherently believe that there is a steady upward linear relationship between performance and value and, and, and the objective function is always more. You know, um, more performance equals more, equates to more value. What we've shown through all of the research that we've done with almost 4,000 companies is that there are in fact four relationships. There is a one set of relationships where there is almost a negative relationship where the goal of the work is not more, but rather the goal of the work is error elimination. Think of the work of an airline pilot or a driller in an oil rig. Don't need a lot of creativity there. You just want the work done the same way 100% of the time because the consequences of an error are so significant. The second relationship is one where we're looking to minimize variance. Um, we see this in transaction processing work. We see this in a lot of manufacturing work where the goal is to essentially say, we've hit the right level of performance. We don't want to do it faster, do it differently. We want to maintain. So variance minimization is the goal. The third relationship is what we call an incremental relationship. And that's where unit improvement in performance is basically a unit improvement in value to the company, like a salesperson. Mm -hmm. generally better. So the objective function is about improving productivity. And then there's a fourth relationship, which often goes undiagnosed in many companies. And it's where there is a massive premium on creativity and innovation. 
it's what we call an exponential relationship. So small improvement in performance yields, exponentially greater value to the company. Think of the teams at AstraZeneca and um, Pfizer uh, working on the vaccine back in March of 2020. Small improvement in performance, massive value to society, those companies. And this is where I think, you know, understanding the nuances of these technologies, you want to use tools like ChatGPT and DALI2 in those areas where the risk quotient is low and they can maybe enable some incremental value or they can enable a breakthrough with exponential value. You don't want to be using them in scenarios where the cost of a mistake leads to significant negative value. Um, like the work of an airline pilot or a drill on an oil rig. So, you know, understanding the nuances of the work and the objective function can be really helpful in figuring out what tool to use where and for what purpose. Well, Ravan, I do hope you're talking to the, uh, the, the airline that I'm about to fly with later today <laughs> uh, because we definitely um, want to make sure that we've got the right um, improvement outcomes um, as their work begins to get augmented. But I'm sure like many of our listeners on the call today, I started to apply those criteria to my own jobs and um, the jobs in my team. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind just talking about what you see as the impact on HR itself. You know, we know from Versus Research that 57% of CEOs and CFOs are increasing their funding in AI and automation. We've read that there's some big impacts with regard to the marketing function, but we've seen a lot of the reductions in force now hitting HR. And it makes me think that the two are probably related. And the concepts that you talked about in terms of human-centric jobs and uh, this improved performance are probably relevant. What are you seeing and hearing? Yeah, you know, Kata, I, I think there are two areas where HR is, is, is both being impacted in terms of its, its the work it does but also impacted as it relates to what it does for the rest of the organization. Um, you're absolutely right. These technologies, you know, HR work is knowledge work. It, they are having an exponential impact on um, the work that HR does. The HR operating model is being radically transformed. Uh, at Kate, as you know, we talk about the target interaction model before the target operating model. These technologies are transforming the way interactions happen between HR and its various stakeholders, between employees, and it's having a massive impact on the on the operating model and the service delivery. So HR needs to, HR is going to be at the bleeding edge of much of this change, and it needs to take the opportunity to lead the way on in helping organizations understand how these technologies should be incorporated. And it speaks to the second point that I think as these technologies come in, HR is a massive opportunity to help business leaders rethink how they orchestrate work. Working alongside business leaders to ensure that they're leading with the work and understanding you know, what we talked about, where can the work be substituted versus augmented versus created or transformed and not letting the tail of tech wag the dog of the organization <laughs> because the consequences then Will you know will only be negative? <laughs> I love that analogy. Uh, I think it's very visual. Um, I can't believe that our time together is already ticking by, and so I think I'm going to have to move to our final question. Um, though I know I could speak to you for both of you for hours, and maybe I can have this final question to both of you. Um, 
look, this is an exciting new world we find ourselves in, and there is a lot to get our head around. But I'd be curious to hear from both of you as experts in your field, what are your predictions on how generative AI will change the face of the future of work? And maybe we can jump ahead to kind of five or six years when we've all got a lot more comfortable around this. What will working and partnering look like? Sophia, do you want to kick us off and then Ravin maybe you can close us out? <laughs> sure. So I have a couple of thoughts. Um, we are living in a time, unfortunately, with massive layoffs, especially in tech. So I was thinking that might be a group of these smart people, you know, who might take this opportunity and try to create something new themselves because the technology is so accessible. So you can see within just months, the booming of startups. So there are really accessible tools now than ever been. So people are scared of job loss by AI, but I see it open lots of opportunities. I hope what comes out of the economic downturn is innovation. Uh, more exciting companies, more exciting products, and more exciting new job opportunities. Oh, as I share with you, my daughters comment those Gen Z on TikTok, they are very optimistic. And talking about Gen Z, when they enter the workforce, they are more familiar with AI tools than any of us, right? So the choices of companies and jobs may be influenced by the factors such as AI-related career opportunities. And they may forego those organizations that are lagging behind. Um, one one more talk is around, you know, we've been talking about democratizing of AI. These um, models lower barriers for low-code and no-code development tools. So I see it creates a lot of job opportunities at the intersection of business and IT and what we call is citizen developers. And I think required skill of, for these roles will likely involve a combination of business domain expertise with the prompting skills and with some basic understanding of tech. Um, yeah, and then also, I mean, last but not least to Ravi's point about human-centric roles. Many people say maybe they're scared that AI would end human creativity. Well, I don't think so. I think human creative, sorry, human creativity would manifest itself in the form of ideas, theme, and concepts. So the future of work, I think, in the next five years, will witness a dynamic synergy between human creativity and AI collaboration. I love that uh, phrase, dynamic synergy. I, I think that is great, and it's so interesting how that developer model kind of gets flipped, you know, basic technical skills with the human and the business domain knowledge, I think is really, really fascinating. Well, Raven, you and I might not be um, of the Gen Z generation, but I think we equally have quite a positive view on the future of work. I wonder if we could uh, help us close out today on your vision for the next five years. Yeah, Kate, happy to. And I think Sophia has absolutely nailed it. Um, I think we have the possibility of, of being at the golden age of creativity. Um, you know, I can see the truly augmented workforce with more power in the hands of, of individuals and talent um, with the accelerated democratization of work. But I think the what we need is to ensure is that we've got the guardrails in place because as great as this new world could be, 
I think the potential for collateral damage is really high. And, you know, I talked about those guardrails. I think equally, and this is going to be a responsibility for every single stakeholder out there is, is ensuring that nobody is left behind in this journey. Um, you know, the, the, the opportunity to create can't be just limited to those of us who have the means, you know, those of us who've had the experience and expertise. It has to be an opportunity to bring more and more people into the game. Um, so access um, is going to be really important for us. Um, but I do think the potential is great if we can, you know, create and adhere to these new set of guardrails. Well, Rowan and Sophia, thank you so much for sharing your insights and learnings. Um, there is so much more to talk about this that I think we'll have to dip in with you again in a couple of months' time because it really is a, an area that is moving so fast. You've also both done a great job of summarizing up some of the things that really stuck in, stuck in my mind from the conversation today has been, firstly, the real change that we've seen of lately has been around accessibility, democratizing both creativity and knowledge. Rather in your comments that some of the headlines that we're seeing in terms of job disruption really is just that one or 2% of jobs. And there really is that opportunity um, to augment work and have more satisfying, interesting work for humans. And I loved your comment around, we're moving from a position of organizational centricity to human centricity. And I thought it was fascinating, the thoughts around how this power in the hands of key workers could really change the, the platform there. We then had a good conversation around the importance of work design and thinking in new ways about the relationship between performance and value. And then we've just ended up now talking about the unbelievable opportunity that we have ahead of us, the opportunity to rethink the interaction between cohorts of people and the HR function and how that might change the model and our role as HR prof professionals in orchestrating work. I think everybody agrees this is an incredibly exciting time. And the final comment there about let's make sure no one is left behind in this golden age of creativity, I think really does talk about the potential that's ahead of us. Thank you so much for joining on the call today. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you're interested in the topic of AI or generative AI, we do have a thought leadership series on Mercer.com. So please do take a look there. Ravan, I know you mentioned one of your articles there. And if you're interested in this topic or others associated with the new shape of work, uh, we've also got them all up there on our Mercer.com site. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Sophia and Ravin, thank you again for sharing. Wishing everybody a great rest of the day.